Welcome to the Communicate for Good podcast, where leaders on a mission to make the world a better place come to talk and learn about how communication, language, and words can help increase awareness, revenue, and impact with less stress and more joy. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and I'm so excited you're here with me. Let's dive right in. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. This episode is going to be released on Christmas Day or the evening of Christmas Day. So I just wanted to acknowledge for listeners who celebrate Christmas, I hope that you've had a wonderful, wonderful, magical Christmas. For those of you who celebrate something else, I also hope that you've had a a wonderful December and are looking forward to 2023. This is the final podcast um, recording for 2022. And I'm really excited to bring you a little something different. I've been doing a lot of solo shows. Maybe you've noticed. <laughs> I met, you know, I'm not super strategic about my podcast. I sort of talk about what what's top of mind and top of heart for me and the people that I work with. So I'm excited to bring you an interview, a conversation really with a wonderful, wonderful guy named Jerome Myers. Jerome is a leadership development expert and coach. His energy is just wonderful. And I have to say, like, when you have a podcast, you get a lot of requests from other podcasters who are like, or actually not even podcasters, just people who want to be on the show. And I'd say most of the time, it's just not going to be interesting for, for, for you as a listener, given what you and I care about. But there was something about Jerome's, even his initial outreach that I was like, I don't know this guy, but I love his energy. I like this guy. And that held true. That definitely held true in our conversation. He works in the corporate space, um, so it's always kind of nice to cross-pollinate. But the thing, the way in which he approaches like leadership and just humanity is a little bit unexpected. He'll talk about that. And also pretty similar to the approach that I take um, in my coaching and my work around, you know, that toggle that we've talked about on this program between the conscious and the subconscious mind and releasing limiting beliefs and all the everything. So he starts by telling like his his origin story, basically. And from the first word, I was like, I just I love this. He talks about the impact of his garbage man that, that you know, the impact that he had on him. So I hope that you're in a space where you can just kind of sit back and absorb the awesomeness that is Jerome. I know I did. Again, to those of you that celebrate Christmas, Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. I can't wait to be in touch with all of you in 2023. All right, let's dive right on in. Here's my conversation with Jerome Myers. Welcome to or welcome back to the Communicate for Good podcast. I'm Erica Mills Barnhart, your host. And with me today is a very special guest, Jerome Myers. So I'm going to read the bio, the short bio, and then... Jerome or Jay, whichever, whichever someone prefers. I just asked him before we started, which do you prefer? And he said, whatever makes you smile, which I love. And then I'm going to ask you, Jerome, to speak to give us the color commentary version because you you have a very interesting business in life from what I can surmise. But the official blurb um, reads as follows. Jerome guides apex leaders across industries by first teaching them to focus on creating centered lives. As a leadership coach, he guides his mentees to focus on impact and significance so that they can be change agents in their homes, communities, and organizations. Welcome to the show, Jerome. 
Thank you so much for having me, Erica. So good to be with you today. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Okay, so I did a little, you know, I did a little research, looked into who Uh-oh. who is this We're Jerome Myers. You know each other, <laughs> right? Some of my guests I know well, um, but we're just, this is the first time we're meeting. So I know that there is a lot behind this little tiny blurb. So there give us the color commentary version. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to go to start this thing. This one is interesting. So let's go to four-year-old Jerome. I'm standing in the front yard with my mom and it's Thursday. And every Thursday, the trash truck came around the corner and I could hear it on the main street. We were third house on the right in the cul-de-sac. And so they turn on the street like they did every week and I see them. And then the next one, I'm peeking around the corner because I don't want them to know I'm waiting for them to get there. And then they get there and I run out and I surprise Lonnie and he does the magic he always does. He hops off the truck. He flips the top off the trash can. It spins around like a quarter, falls flat, does a little pirouette, dumps the trash in the trash can or in the back of the trash truck. Then he spins it back to the curb and it never fell over. Never. And so he looks at me and he gives me a little gun uh, finger. And if anybody out there has little kids and they've seen Baby Shark. And they see the kids just clapping their hands. And I'm doing my rendition of that. However many years before that it came out to get him to pull the lever to crush the trash. Because that was the most exciting piece for me. And I would hear the things starting to come down and the trash starting to crumple. And I'm just excited. And my mom's watching me. And I look at her and say, Mommy, I want to be a trash man. <laughs> she looks at me as only a mom could do. And she says, Baby, um, I don't. No, if you want to do that, don't you like your Nikes and don't you like your Jordache jeans and don't you like your guest shirt? I was like, yeah, mommy, of course. She said, well, if you when you pick your career, you want to pick a profession that's going to pay you the money that you need to make in order to live the lifestyle you want to live. And you could see all the innocence drain from my face, right? Because I thought you did what you liked doing. And Lonnie seemed to like what he was doing. He was doing art from every way that I could understand it with my little four-year-old mind. I said, yeah, mommy, but um, Lonnie's at home when his kids get home from school. And, um, you know, sometimes daddy doesn't come home until after dark and I have to wait for him to eat. And, you know, I want to have fun. And she said, yeah, but maybe one day you'll have a wife and kids and what do you want for them? And, you know, I went off to ponder that. And it didn't come back up until high school. And I'm talking to Mr. Ayers. He was my physics teacher. I said, hey, Mr. Ayers, what do you want? What do you think I should do? Should I study psychology and solve people problems? Or should I study engineering? And he said, well, Jerome, an engineer probably makes twice as much as a psychologist starting out right out of school. So, you know, that's something to consider. But I think you're good at both. I think you're good with people. I think you're good with math and science. So you can be successful at either one. And so it came back, right? I got to choose a profession that will pay for the lifestyle when I live. And so I go to engineering school, do that for four years, play football, get out, get a job. And we're going down the path of the 40-year sentence is what I call it, where you get married and you get a job and you buy a house and you get 2.5 kids and the dog and the two luxury cars. And you go to the same place for 40 years and then hope you can retire and live for 10 after. And when I got into leadership, I realized pretty quickly I didn't want to do what is traditionally laid out for us. And so 
my last job in corporate America, I was employee number two. This was January 13th of 2015. And by the end of September of that year, I had 175 people working with me. By the end of the year, we did $20 million in revenue, 30% profit margins. And I get a phone call on December 24th at 4.55. And it goes something like this. Hey, Jerome, I know you and I have been going back and forth on this for a while. And I just want to inform you of a decision. I said, okay, what you got? He said, hey, we're going to lay half of them off. I was like, huh? It's not the right answer. What are you talking about? He said, Jerome, this is in a negotiation. I'm calling to inform you of a decision. I said, I heard you say that the first time. But the reality is that that's not the right answer. We're going to need these people. They've worked really hard. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, I'm telling you what we're going to do. And it's Christmas Eve. I'm going to go spend the rest of the year with my family. I'll talk to you in the new year. And then the three beeps that you hear from my iPhone is the next thing that I heard. And I was crushed because I never had to be the axe man, right? I never had to lay people off. And so I spent from that day through New Year's trying to figure out the plan on how we were going to do what we'd done the year before and what we were going to do to let people know that we're impacted, that they were impacted. And that didn't sit well with me, but I was able to push it away and say, hey, they made me do it. It's not me, it's them. They made me do it. So I gave away my agency. I gave up my control. And I'm just, I'm in the system. I'm part of the matrix. I'm doing what is done. And I said, I'll never do this again, though. And so November of the following year, a couple of days before Black Friday, I called the team and I said, hey, I don't know what's going to happen between now and the end of the year, but I don't want you to spend your money on Black Friday because I want to make sure that if something happens, you're in a good position. And in that moment, standing up in front of that room, I felt like all my leadership credibility oozed out of me onto the floor. And it was at that point that I realized that I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't want to be in a space. And we're in that space right now as we record where Mm -hmm. people are announcing their layoffs and people are trying to figure out if they get one week of severance or none. And they're trying to figure out, well, how am I still going to celebrate the holidays? And what am I going to do to pay the mortgage in January? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I didn't want to be in a space where somebody who I talked to every other week and saw once a quarter could come in and tell me what to do with my shop. And so I left and started the entrepreneurial journey. And so I said a lot. I'll pause there and then we can keep going. <laughs> so you started your entrepreneurial journey in 2016? Mm-hmm. Okay, I was tracking the story. What did you do first as an entrepreneur? I went to the bank and I had my 54-page business plan. And I said, hey, don't you want to give me a million dollars to go buy this building? And they said, why would we do that? And I said, well, I've got the plan for you. And they said, yeah, I looked at the plan. Why will we give you a million dollars? I said, well, uh, I want to buy an apartment building. And it's got cash flow. And that's what you do. And they said, okay, well, what experience do you have? And I said, well, I'm an engineer and I got my MBA and I got this and I got that. And they said, yeah, but what have you done related to this? <laughs> so I dug right. in my pocket as deep as I could and I pulled out a piece of lint and I said, here, this is what I got. <laughs> right? And then he smiled and said, yeah, we're not interested in doing this loan with you. And I said, okay. So I went to the next bank because I'm stubborn like my dad. And they told me the same thing. 
And then another six, seven, eight banks later, I realized that I just didn't know what I was doing and nobody was going to give me a million dollars to go buy that building. What I needed to do was go find somebody who had experience that could partner with me to do the deal. The problem was I didn't know anybody. I grew up the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. I didn't know anybody with a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio. So that led me into fix and flip because that's what everybody does, right? You watch HGTV and so now you know what you're doing, uh, except you don't realize that there's a bunch of time lapse and there's a whole lot of things that go on behind the scenes that don't actually make the show that if people knew them, they probably wouldn't want to be in that business because it's a really hard business. And I'll never forget driving into the city. It was like July, one hot summer day. And I was going in, it was before 5 a.m. I was going to one of our houses because I was going to do the landscaping before it got too hot. And I'm like, I'm working harder now than I did when I had a job. I traded my nine to five in for a five to nine. Yeah. And so many entrepreneurs Uh do that, right? Trade the nine to five and four or five to nine. So just so the listeners understand what that means, we're not talking 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. We're talking 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. Thousand percent. Just to be real clear, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've lived this for almost 20 years. Yeah. And so I got to do something different. And so in about that same time frame, I met somebody who um, was doing the real estate thing. And would partner with me to get the first multifamily deal done. So we did that. We built a multifamily portfolio. And what I realized with the real estate is it was very lonely. Very lonely. I was over here doing the thing. Oh, that's interesting. I was over here doing the thing. The people who were around me were only there because they were going to make money from me. Right. They were Uh all just trying to get to their next payday. Uh I didn't get paid until I got to a closing. Uh And... The majority of my money was going the wrong way the majority of the time. And then I would get a big windfall, but I got to put it back out in order to make more. So in all actuality, most of it wasn't mine. And so I was like, I got to do something else. And so we built a community to try to solve the loneliness thing. And I started reflecting and I was like, man, and this was in 2020. I said, the thing I miss most is helping leaders grow. You know, if you go from two to 175, you've got to build leaders and you got to build them fast. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I wanted to get back to. I wanted to get back to that. And I thought when I left corporate, I would just be able to consult back because we had this great leadership development program that I helped, well, that I created and blah, 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 blah. But there was a funny thing that happened for me, unfortunately. Everybody that was very interested in getting on my calendar when I sat in the chair of the person responsible for that $20 million P&L was not interested in me when I wasn't. They didn't answer the phone. They didn't return calls. They Uh weren't interested in meeting with me. Uh And so I had to go find something else, but I knew there was something there. And so I came back to that and we started doing leadership development and coaching for founders and executives in large businesses because we believe that we can make the biggest impact in those spaces. And so that started in 2020. And, you know, this year we've done almost 850 coaching calls and wow. done a bunch of different leadership development trainings for uh, Fortune 100s. And it's been a really, really fun experience. And 
if you would have told me that this is what it would have looked like six years ago, I don't know that I would have yeah. seen it. Yeah. I mean, I love that your journey kind of went from four-year-old looking at the garbage truck, wanting this, like, and I, you know, four-year-olds are just so lovely in their, like, in their worldview, right? And your worldview at that point in time was, I just want to do what I love. And yes, it was a long and winding road, but it sounds like you're doing what you love. Yeah. And I get to be the trash man because our yeah. model is one where we go into all of the yucky stuff, the stuff that the marketing people don't ever want to deal with and all of the other consultants that most people come to. Okay. They, what does that mean? The marketer? Because I, you know, I'm a marketer, but. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to go market not. the, you're going to market the business. You're going to make the business look as great as possible so that people are attracted to it. Got it. In order for you to be able to do that, there's some really dirty work that has to happen with the owner as well as probably the culture within the business, depending on what's been going on with the owner in order for it to deliver on its promises. And most people run away from that because you, you end up getting some dirt on your fingernails when yeah. you do that type of work. Yeah. So you make sure that you make sure that the, the companies that you work with, that, that the leaders can deliver on their promises. One thousand percent. And if the leaders deliver on their promises to the team, then the team will deliver to the promises to the customers. And if done right, the leaders don't have to interact with the customers because the team are an extension of them. And that's where the real magic happens. And that's where things get to a place where the business is scalable and, you know, eventually exit ready if that's what the founder wants to do. So... I want to come back to a couple of things from your bio. Now, now that the audience listeners understand who is who is Jay, how do you describe a centered life? What does that mean to you? Yeah, so our model is called the red pill, right? And we we haven't talked to any of the matrix stuff, but yeah, we have a model for a centered life called the red pill. And so I think a lot of people, fortunately or unfortunately, are spending a ton of time trying to figure out balance, right? But there's a couple of issues with yeah. balance and I'll use... Do you think that balance is possible? I, I'm very intrigued by this question and I spend a lot of time with my coaching clients on... No, I don't yeah. think balance is... A, it's possible. Yes, balance is possible. That's okay. The but here's here it is, right? So listeners, stand up, put your weight even on both feet. All right. Now take a step. Don't... Displace the weight. Keep the weight even. Now take a step. Can't. Can't do it. S scale. What's the balance scale read when it doesn't have anything on it? Zero. 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 Okay. So if you don't want to make any progress and you don't want to have any impact, then balance is the answer. Right? If you want to make impact, if you want to make progress, then you just need to stay centered. You need to be able to make progress and put your attention on things that need your attention when they need them. And if you do that, you'll end up in a place where you can be you everywhere that you go. And so when I really think about a centered life, it's one where you don't have to put a mask on. You don't have to be a person when you go yeah. over here. You don't have to be somebody else when you go over there. You don't have to be somebody when you go here. You are you and you show up as you, which is your best self. 
in every place and space that you go in. And people are not surprised if they happen to see you over here and they know you from this other place. Mm. Because that part is super exhausting. So our model has six levels, but we really only focus on four things. Reduction of stress. Uh Improving health. Love that. Driving wealth. And Mm -hmm. creating a lasting legacy. The reduction of stress is broken out into three different parts. Your self-image, your relationships, and your work. And so if we can figure out how to resolve the internal conflicts that we have Mm -hmm. in our self-image and actually Mm -hmm. show up as our best self, because that's what the conflict comes from. We're playing at a level lower than what we're able to actually deliver to the world. We're depriving them of the gift of us. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you can move to that next level, which is your relationships. And what I would ask the listeners to do is take out a piece of paper and split it into four quadrants. A lot of listeners to this podcast, I know this, uh, listen while walking or puttering around the house. So the putterers can do this. Walkers, you're going to have to do this when you get home. <laughs> well, yeah, they'll come back to it, right? Hopefully this will be impactful for them. And I know most people just want to get the punchline of the thing. But if they will humor me, this will be a transformational exercise for them. Okay, and I'm going to play along. I have a piece minutes. of paper. Perfect. Well, I don't. I okay. have my remarkable tablet, which yeah. I'm in love with. Which I is love remarkable, paper. by the way. Oh, are you part of the remarkable family? I am. I am a okay. user. So okay. on the bottom, right? So split it into four quadrants. On okay. the bottom, I want you to write um, contribution. Okay. On the left side, I want you to write capacity. And... So the bottom box on the left will be low. And then on the bottom axis, you'll have low. So the the quadrant on the bottom left is low, low. Okay. The quadrant on the bottom right would be high, low. So basically it would be, I'm going to make sure I did this the right way. So contributions on the bottom. Is that right? Yes. Contributions on the bottom. So somebody who has high contribution and low capacity would go in that box, okay? Somebody who has low contribution and high capacity would be on the box that's on the top left, right? And then the box in the top right would be somebody who has high capacity and high contribution. Got it? Yep. Now, I want you to think about the five people that you spend the most time with. And I want you to put them in the boxes based on their capacity and their contribution. And so is this person high capacity? Okay. Are they high contribution? They go in this box. If they're low capacity, and capacity just means their ability to help you move the thing forward that you're doing. Uh-huh. If they're low capacity and they're low contribution, they would go in the bottom left box. So put your five people that you spend the most time with. Okay. Some of us cheat. Some of us do the halo effect and we put everybody this high contribution and high capacity. It's not real. They're amazing. Yeah, it's not (laughs) real. They're all amazing. And if you are, if you're delusional about that, think about the last time that you asked somebody to help and did they actually help in the way that you hoped they would help and at the level or the magnitude that you hoped they would help. So you got your names or initials in the box. You got five, Mm -hmm. all five. Yeah. Okay. Is everybody in 
high contribution and high capacity for you? No. Okay. So the people who are high contribution and high capacity, they're mutually beneficial, right? Those are the relationships that Apex performers, those are the people who I spend time with, crave the most. Oh, so this is the Apex. That This is mm-hmm. was a question I had. Yeah. Is, what does Apex mean? Yeah. So they're going to be Apex performers and Apex performers with Apex performers continue to fill each other's cup because they're not just yeah. there okay. um, taking because that's what the... lower left, right? The bottom left quadrant is draining. So those people just come to take things. They're just there to get what they can get. They're drag. All right. Then there is one where you have um, (laughs) high contribution, but low capacity. Uh Those folks are uninspiring. They don't have the capacity to truly help, but they're willing to do whatever they can. That doesn't inspire many people. Is this burnout? I mean, are these people burned out? Those people, I don't know that they're burned out because they're contributing a lot. They just don't have the capacity. So they're underskilled more often than not. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. Because when I heard, so I, so a lot of listeners to this podcast work for nonprofits or foundations, right? Where contribution, in fact, is the name of the game. And so, and burnout is not unique to that sector, but it is pervasive. And, it, and at this point, it's profound. I just, I wonder if there is a difference between sectors because I, you know, I work with, I call purpose, purpose-driven or purpose-centered leaders and teams and organizations. And I think, I guess I, I wonder at, at some point if, if contribution can be to someone's detriment. It can. So contribution gets to someone's detriment when nobody's contributing back to them. And so the burnout okay. that you you mentioned is always a function of them always giving and never getting. Yeah. Right. And some of that is ego because we teach people how to show up in our lives. Yes. We we teach them when they can or can't help us. Right. We we teach them all of that. And so if we have this ego and basically I call it ego, some people may resent that I call it ego, but I'm okay with that. If we have this ego and we show people that they can't do anything for us, they'll believe us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They will believe us. And if they believe us, then we're left trying to pour from an empty cup because nobody poured into our cup. Right. Because we were like, I'm good. I got my cup. I got it. I'll fill it. I got it. I mean, I see this. I see this a lot again with the with the folks I work with, but I in particular see this with women. Thousand percent, especially moms. Yes, mom can do everything. I say is the loving mother of two adorable children, teenagers. Mm-hmm. Mom can do everything, and she doesn't need anything. And she says that, and so then when people take her for granted, she's disappointed. But she's resentful. One thousand percent. How could you not appreciate all the sacrifice that I did in order to help you get the thing that you have? Um, well, you told me you didn't need anything. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now I do. <laughs> now I do. And so how does somebody, you know, I, I imagine there are listeners who are like, oh, I resemble that remark. How do they move past that? So I think for step one, I don't think this is what we teach. Um, step one is one to take the assessment. So now you're aware. There are some people okay. who are bold enough to 
Uh-huh. And then once you build that, it's no different than like when people build a, a checklist for the partner that they desire. It's no different, right? Then you yeah. want to go through each one of those people and see if they fit the bill based on their contribution and their capacity. No, that's interesting. That, that's, I bet that that's hard. Uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. You have to be brutally honest, right? And when you go through, if you see that they don't have the capacity or they don't have the contribution, then you have to spend your most precious resource somewhere else. It's you're, you're, the only difference between your life is the books you read and the people you spend time with. Right. I was just going to say this, this, this is sounding familiar, especially, I forget who came up with it, actually. You know, the influence of the five people that you spend the most time with is so huge in our lives. Thousand percent. And we have, we have agency over that. We have choice over these things, uh, which we don't always in the workplace. Right. So I think it's, I, I mean, it's really interesting to think about how do you, who do you spend time with? How do you fill your cup? And where do you have, where do you have choice? And where do you not? have choice and then what choices do you make um in that regard so okay we, we go through we assess them and then we have to have some conversations we have to renegotiate <laughs> what's going on in our world and we will either be good to go and we're going to move forward in the new relationship with the mutual benefit because we got to get them moved from the draining or the un, uh-huh. uh, uninspiring or underutilized to the mutually beneficial quadrant. Yeah. And, you yep. know, for like we started with draining, but for somebody who um, we're underutilizing, if they're not interested in contributing more to our lives, they don't feel like they have the capacity, then we need to move to a new level. Right. Mm-hmm. We need to find somebody mm-hmm. who's actually interested in participating and showing up for us in the way we want to show up or have some people show up for us. And so yeah. we got to go have those conversations. It's uncomfortable, especially if you want to avoid conflict. Um, but if you if you do that, if you if you're bold enough to do that, then you can end up in a space where your life looks drastically different, where you're not always worn out where you don't feel like people are taking advantage of you when you feel appreciated and so on and so on and so on mm-hmm. where do you find i mean is there a place where your clients where you sense the most resistance to the change oh it's always people because the people is what gives them peace it's what keeps them certain right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they 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 resist there um because they the stuff with themselves, the internal stuff, nobody else has to know, right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What's interesting about that to me is when I was listening to you, you know, before when you were describing what a centered life is, it sounded like it was like a combination of transparency and authenticity. One thousand percent. Yeah, like if you can always show up, you're and I, authentic is kind of a loaded term. We've talked about that before on this podcast. Um, but assuming that you have authority over your life in a way where you can show up authentically, I just want to acknowledge that not everyone gets to do that because of positional authority and privilege and all of these things. Mm. But that's interesting that, I mean, I think sometimes, and I see this with my clients, I see this with myself when I'm, do, when I'm doing this work, 
you know, you get to the bits that you don't like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then nobody else really needs to know about that. You don't have to. But tell there's them. there's an energetic tug to that, right? Like if you don't c- clean up those things, so then you can't be fully authentic and transparent, right? You cannot, and it will hold you back. And so the layers yeah. of our model are intertwined. And so it's self-image. It's the smallest. So think about one of like those, uh, it's like those Chinese dolls where they're like stacked and you open one and there's another yeah. one inside, another one, another one. The inside. nesting dolls. Yeah, the nesting dolls. And so the and most the smallest doll is self-image, right? Then we go to relationships, then we go to work. Then we go to health, prosperity, and then significance. Working our way up. But if you don't go mm-hmm. in... So if you don't do the self-image mm-hmm. work, then it's going to keep the relationships from happening. Because if you're not accountable and authentic with yourself, you can't require that of other people. You can fake it for a while. <laughs> and I think our society, and in particular social media, allows us to, to believe that that is sustainable. But the, it's a mask, right? And, mm-hmm. that and it's tiring. It's Quite tiring. absolutely exhausting. And so, yes, you can fake it for a while, but eventually you get found out. And when you get found out, it makes you rethink everything. Yeah. Or you start running or sabotaging to get back to the place so that you... Yeah. And all of those things are counterproductive. Yeah. What I love about your model, and I just, I can imagine that there are some listeners who are like, this sounds like a lot of personal development work. And I find it intriguing that that there is still... There's still some folks who want to believe that we can separate the personal from the professional. <laughs> and they were, <laughs> sorry, I wish the listeners could have seen your face because you were like, ah, no. <laughs> and the whole face went with it. Um, but, right, I mean, back in the day, there was brighter lines between these things, or at least there were, there were constructs that allowed us to be like, no, I can keep that separate. What I really appreciate about your approach to leadership is that you're you're very squarely, I hear, at least what I'm hearing is like it starts with you and it, and then you got to get good with you so that you can so you can enter into all these other spaces and still be you. But like you get to leadership eventually, but not out of the gate, it doesn't sound like. Yeah, it's an inside job. So yeah, inside job. It, it won't happen. I mean, you could go out and try to change the world. Good luck if you don't change first. And there's a lot of people that go out and try to make everything around them change without changing anything in them. And yeah. it just ends up being a disaster. It's alluring, right? It's alluring to believe that like you could change all the things around you. And again, this is like, you see, usually I think you see the yucky bits or, you know, you're like, I'm good with me, but except like, these couple things. Um it all it all comes back to the inner game, right? It always will. And there is no way around it. There is no hack. There is no shortcut. There is like all of that. You you there are a lot of people who will promise that you don't have to do that stuff because it's easier for them to sell to you. But when you really get to the nitty-gritty of it all, you're gonna end up right back here. And so, you know, it's just a matter of well, what part of the marketing do I actually want to deal with? And I, I want people to show up authentically and live their truth. And I would hate for somebody to invest the time to 
listen to our chats today and walk away and not know exactly what is going to happen, regardless of what program they get into, if they want to get the result. Now, if they yeah. want to uh, eat muffins and feel like better about themselves because they ate the thing, okay, great, right? But that is not how they're actually going to get their result. I've been thinking recently about the difference between success and significance. Mm. Yeah. And I think we, I would love your take on that. Now that listeners and I understand like the way that you come at this, it really, because I think that in our society, regardless of sector, we're kind of trained to believe that if you are successful, like especially financially successful, that then you, you that's that's what success is and that that's significance. And I, I think of them as quite different. They are quite different from my perspective as well. And the place that I would go with that is we we believe that people self-actualize and then they transcend. And self-actualization is getting to the place where you have prosperity. And some people just think prosperity is money, but we believe it's time, talent, and treasures. And so if you have time and talent, but you don't have any money, you feel underpaid. If you have time and treasures, you feel uninspired or um, you feel like your work isn't fulfilling. So you feel unfulfilled because you're not able to use your talent. And if you have talent and treasures, that means you have no time. You feel unrested, right? And so the sweet spot is when your time, talent, and treasures all mesh. And we consider that to be prosperity. Once you hit prosperity, you experience some level of freedom. You're not worried about the basic needs. And so that's why we call that self-actualization. But what inevitably happens with everybody that we spend time with is they start asking a couple of questions. And I call them seeking questions. Is this really it? And is there more? And when they start asking those questions, they're chasing fulfillment. Right. And mm-hmm. so everybody, I want to be free, freedom, freedom, freedom. They want fulfillment. They want fulfillment. It's the other. Mm-hmm. F. And so fulfillment comes from being significant. S- significance is, from my perspective, is the only true success. And in that, you want to be able to make a positive impact on the lives of other people. We have a model. It's more complicated than what I'm describing here. But the point is you want to move from your f- place of freedom to your place of service so that you can find fulfillment. Yeah, I think that this is different in different sectors because for folks who are working in nonprofits, day in and day out, especially if you're on the front lines, you are in service. And so I think you can be, I mean, I witness this all the time, you can be in service and not feel fulfilled. 100%. If there's other pieces. If there's a if those other pieces are sure. in place. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, again, back to your quadrant, if you're in this lower right-hand quadrant, right? And you're contributing and contributing and contributing and contributing and not getting something back. So I want to, I want to invite listeners to really like take in the, what, what you've been offering in terms of the interplay between like, because this is how I hear it, like get so intentional about all, all the realms of your life, but first intentional about you, then intentional about like, how can you construct your kind of your personal life in a way to make sure that your cup is being 
filled up, filled up, filled up, especially if you are in this lower quadrant, so that you can rise into, you know, the space of mutual benefit. And it's like it all comes together uh, once you do that, once you do the inner game work and you start to look around to the immediate outer. It is and the then further, game changer. Further, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people try to optimize parts. And I can tell mm-hmm. you that that doesn't work. A lot of people try to skip steps. Oh, I'm not going to work on my self-image. I'm just going to go work on my prosperity. It doesn't work. doesn't work. My goal is to save people as many steps as possible. And mm-hmm. I save you steps by giving you not only the steps to get to the place that you want to go, the plan, but I give you the sequence because the sequence of things makes the biggest difference out of everything. Yeah. 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 And also it's iterative, right? So you go, I imagine you go through the steps and then you, you get to this next level and then you take another pass at self-image and then, so it's, as you continue to grow. I, I, I'm saying that because I think some, some listeners would be like, ooh, I could just do the steps once and then I'm done. Well, you'll be done. Good, steady state. You'll be done from <laughs> for accomplishing or achieving that goal, right? You're making that dream real. You will have done that. You will. And we're, we'd be really excited that you did that because the world needs you to do the thing that's been placed on your heart. We'd be excited. We'd be stoked that you did that. But... And then you'll be asking the question again. Is this really it? Is there more? And when you do that, when you do that, we'll be here to walk on that journey with you. I love that, Jerome. Anything else that you want to share with listeners? I would just love to tell them that their dreams should be real. So few Hmm. people hear that. And... I think it's a tragedy. It's a great tragedy. Uh, Everybody asks kids what they want to be when they grow up and this, that, and a third, and they tell them to be all they can be and so on and so forth. And then we get to become adults and they say, hey, be practical. Hey, you got responsibilities now. Hey, you need to get a real job. You need to get serious. And what I've learned, back to four-year-old me, is that... When you do the thing that you've been uniquely positioned to do on this planet, you don't can have to continue doing things that pay well but are unfulfilling. Your your talents will make room for you. Mm. Your talents will make mm, room for that's you. Beautiful. And so trust that. Mm-hmm. Walk in that. Right? And be willing to challenge the programming that you've got that made it so that you can't do what you want to do. The world needs you to do it. It's placed on your heart for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, If people want to learn, again, a little bit more of the Jerome Myers magic, where where should they go to find you? Yeah. um, They can go to itucktheredpill.co. And there they will find a questionnaire that's going to make them look really hard at life. And when they get done with the questionnaire, there's an opportunity to schedule a call. Beautiful. All right. That uh, link will be in the show notes. I think I took the redpill.co, right? 
assessment. I'm totally intrigued by the assessment. I, I love I love all of these things. And who doesn't love an assessment, right? I think we should. Let's all go take that. Um, listeners, thank you for being here with us today. Do good, be well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Communicate for Good podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would right here, right now, go rate and review the podcast. Your review will help even more purpose-driven leaders, teams, and organizations learn how to use words to change the world. To find more ways that communication can help you increase awareness, revenue, and impact, head on over to www.claxon.communicationnos.com.